This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre and tries to find an answer. Hello, my darling wife. <laughs> Hi. Uh, we had our wedding reception over the weekend. We're about to fly out to beautiful Jamaica. Uh, but we had to, I mean, I assume it's beautiful. I haven't been there yet. The pictures do seem to indicate it. Uh, so uh, for the next week or so, we are going to have our um, asses in the sand, as I think Toby <laughs> Keith said charmingly. I'd rather be in a chair. I don't want my ass right up in the sand. We're going to swim with dolphins. We're going to have pizza brought to us on the beach. It's all very exciting. Um, but I think we've given ourselves a lot to live up to over the last month as we brought our listeners a really in-depth look at one of the most uh, horrific and yet important in a way and yet revelatory about the human condition um, experiences that people have ever had in America. I mean, real history and real horrifying history. Yeah, um, I think a lot about the Salem witch trials was the basis of our justice system. Benjamin Franklin's... um, ancestor, I think a a little bit ahead of when he was born, was either accused or, you know, involved somehow in the Salem witch trials. And it's said that that knowledge really drove him to, um, to incorporate just justice (laughs) into, uh, the foundation of our country. Um, it wasn't, that far before, I mean, it was less than a hundred years before 1776 that this happened. Um, some of the founding thought, like they might've had their parents tell them about what had happened, especially because this happened in Massachusetts. And so many people that helped found this country were from the Boston area. So I think it's really important to know why we, at least in this country, believe or say we like to believe anyway, that um, it's better to let a bunch of guilty people go free than have one innocent person incarcerated. That's something that's very close to my heart. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, along with not believing in the death penalty and stuff, because unfortunately, people do slip through the cracks. So I think it's a really important, important story, especially for you and me and anyone listening to this because you have probably strange interests or an interest in the macabre and that might not have been so good for us back in the day so we can appreciate how things have changed or some things have anyway so now the spotlight's on us and i feel like our listeners are looking at us for really important topics really (sighs) uh rich history of this country and sort of foundational uh revelatory truths 
Mm-hmm. And that's why this week we're going to talk about Valiant Thor, the Venusian alien who lived underneath the Pentagon for three years in the 1960s. Thor? Like Marvel Thor? Nope. Fat Thor? Totally different. And in fact, Carrie, we've talked a little bit about UFOs in the past. Go back and check out our, uh, let's see, Barney and Betty Hill, our New Georgia Damsky, New England UFOs. Um, in UFO, like conspiracy thought, there's these different kinds of aliens that crop up over and over again. Valiant Thor, you would expect to be kind of a, a Nordic type alien. Uh, uh, you would think, a yeah. A tall, blonde, beautiful humanoid because, um, yeah, he's got Thor right there in his name. And right? he's so valiant. Ex- expect him to look like he was from Norway. Um, not quite the case, but let's let's get into it. Valiant Thor's story was first revealed to America in the book Stranger at the Pentagon by Dr. Frank E. Stranges, Ph.D. Stranges at the Pentagon. First published in 1967, with revisions in 1972, and then in 1991, where he really added quite a bit to the narrative. Interesting. Uh, Dr. Stranges himself passed in 2008. So so wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, R.I.P., by the way. But you're telling me this story has both a Thor and a Dr. Stranges? Yeah, not a Dr. Strange, to be clear. Uh, but that's interesting, Carrie. Maybe let's keep our eye on this throughout the podcast and see if uh, I mean maybe this is this maybe the story is the inspiration for the whole Marvel universe we don't know the MCU all right Spider-Man where are you at so this book Stranger at the Pentagon is one of the early foundational texts of UFO conspiracy thought um, it's a little harder now today just like with George Adamski's stuff it's harder today to find people who uh, buy into this, mm-hmm. but not impossible. There are still uh, some very dedicated believers out there on the internet who will defend Stranger at the Pentagon and who are certain that Valiant Thor is still watching over us. More on that in a little bit. <sighs> on Ancient Aliens, um, a show that we enjoy, you'll ac- occasionally hear this book mentioned right along with uh, Chariots of the Gods. You know what I mean? Another. They're fa- historical texts. Yes, well, that's how it's. <laughs> Quoted on Ancient Aliens, for sure, like as if this is gospel truth. Um, so it's one of their main sources on that episode when they want to quote something that sounds like a book. Um, but anyway, that shows on the History Channel. So this is real history, Carrie. Sure. There was also a short film made in 2013, if you want to check that out. It does get the broad strokes of the story more or less right. Although, listen, there's PDFs of Stranger at the Pentagon available out there for free on the internet. It's a wild read. If you've got a couple of hours and you don't value your sanity, because uh, it's it'll uh, it, 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 it Frank Strange's writes in word pretzels a lot of the time. Hmm. We'll get some of his copy later on. Uh, as I said, it's not without its believers, including now it won't surprise you to know, given when it takes place between 1957 and 1960, for the most part. It won't surprise you that uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, then president of the United States, is a major part of this story. His great-granddaughter is one of this book's main leading modern proponents. Really? Yeah. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower's great-granddaughter, Laura Eisenhower, says this thing is 100% legit and that, uh, uh, you know, kind of family oral history has confirmed that for her. What? Laura, get on this podcast right now. I want to talk to you so badly. We might be able to get her. Laura's website describes her as a, quote, global alchemist, researcher, and intuitive astrologist. Man, I want to be a global alchemist. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds awesome. I'm not sure Laura knows what that is. I love it. Um, 
But Stranger at the Pentagon gets off to a rollicking star rate from the About the Author page. Oh, boy. Uh, Dr. Stranges himself is introduced as the founder slash president of the, all capitals, National Investigations Committee on UFOs and president of International Evangelism Crusades. That's a worldwide Christian denomination, in case you were wondering. Hmm. And International Theological Seminary of California. Uh, He adds that he has degrees in theology, psychology, and criminology, um, but not what institutions accredited or otherwise may have given given him those degrees. Interesting. Okay. Um, Do we know that he's a real doctor? I'm almost certain that he's not. I've tried to track down where these uh, PhDs might have come from. He only, I believe, attended like religious seminary schools. Well, you could still get PhD. I mean, I don't know what, maybe theology. I don't know if you're getting criminology at seminary school, but. Uh, His interest in UFOs, the book tells us, began while Frank was attending Bible college. After he heard his roommate tell of an experience during the war. He doesn't say which war. Um, But this roommate's squad was buzzed by several UFOs. And then um, military officers told them that that was nothing. And uh, you shouldn't mention this to anyone. Pretty typical. So Frank hears this story secondhand. That's what gets him started with the whole UFO shot. And at the end of the foreword, he dedicates the book to Julie A. Corcoran whose unselfish efforts helped greatly in the separation of fact from fiction, and who spent many, many hours perfecting the vehicle before it has been placed in your hands. My one true love, this is for you. Well, that's romantic. Could be a long-term um, relate. Could be his wife. He mentions a wife, Frank uh, Stranges does in this book. I notice they don't share a last name, but uh, so do many married couples. I don't know. She's an independent woman. I like to think that there's a Mrs. Stranges who's like, who's this Corcoran who's the love of your life? Yikeroo. Before we get into Strange's narrative, there's a foreword by a Harley Andrew Bird. Now, Bird claims to be a high-ranking member of Project Blue Book from back in the day. Uh, our listeners who aren't familiar, Project Blue Book was the U.S. government's, uh, U.S. Air Force's uh, very real uh, program to... I'm and that's not, be- not real qu- quotation marks. Oh, yeah. That's a real, it's a real thing. I saw Carrie documented. smile, yes. Not... Not silly real, an actually real um, program the Air Force had to track down and investigate UFO claims. Um, it so, was their X-Files, basically, but just for UFOs. Yes, and not as exciting as, like, not the kind of plot twists the X-Files. Uh, I would assume not as sexy, but who knows? So this bird claims to be a high-ranking member of Project Blue Book. Um, I did a little digging. He did make similar claims to... Art Bell on Coast to Coast in 1995 when he called in to apparently talk about Sasquatches and Greys and aliens. Uh, Sorry, aliens, yes, but also Aryans. Uh Uh-oh. So I couldn't find a audio clip or a full transcript of that interview, just a lot of uh, talk, a a lot of chatter on the Coast to Coast forums uh, from that time going like, this didn't check out. You know, and when the Coast to Coast listeners smell bullshit, yeah, the whiff is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Harley uh, lays out his credentials and then lays out the basic facts of the case. In mid-March 1957, Harley says his Blue Book team received an urgent message from Alexandria, Virginia police that they had picked up an alien in a flying saucer. Harley says his boss at Project Blue Book personally oversaw organizing a meeting between this extraterrestrial and the Secretary of Defense at the Pentagon, 
and then to the White House to meet the vice president and President Eisenhower. What do you mean picked up? Like on the street corner looking for a cab? Uh, we'll get to... Uh, don't worry. We will... When we get into Str- Dr. Strange's full account... <laughs> Dr. Strange's full account. We will... Uh, we will set the scene for you as Valiant Thor arrives to Earth. First, Harley signs his foreword in a very formal fashion. Harley Andrew Bird, nephew to the late Rear Admiral... Nephew to the late Rear Admiral Richard R. F. Byrd, United States Navy. Uh, Richard Byrd was a Revolutionary War hero. Okay. Um, since I can't, I mean, you know, we only ju- his nephew. That would have to be grandnephew. Oh, it would at be least. several generations in between, certainly. <laughs> in that coast to coast interview, he also talked about how his uh, late uncle was involved in some of the earliest American government uh, efforts to contact UFOs. Ah. Yeah. Finally, Dr. Frank Stranges takes over the narrative himself, and in his introduction, he mainly just quotes a bunch of different military men who have said UFOs exist. (laughs) He quotes a few, like, it's all establishing, this is a thing, guys, it's really a thing. Uh, He he quotes a few uh, high commanders in various world uh, air forces who say, like, I'm certain these things exist, and then he uh, quotes a few specific airmen who have seen things, and then he notes... The United States Air Force, to this date, has denied the very existence of flying saucers. Therefore, the term unidentified flying objects has been introduced and carried through. They evidently are not too certain as to the whys and wherefores. Or do they? What? He says, they evidently are not too certain as to the whys and wherefores. Or do they? Well, the love of his life didn't do some good editing there, I guess. He could. T- That's what blew my mind. It's like there was a lot. There was hours of editing in this text, and also this is the third edition, thirty years after it was printed. That has big who was phone energy. Yes. He continues. The following pages will reveal much, at least to those who are capable of discerning knowledge, wisdom, and above all, understanding. That's so if you're not a big dumb dumb, maybe you'll get it. But it's also the text has the tenor of like those Dr. Bronner's shampoo bottles. <laughs> oh, those things are psychotic. If you read those, it makes me a little concerned for whoever's making them. It it has the By the way, they're advocating uh, they're currently lobbying for legalization of psilocybin mushrooms in Connecticut, Dr. Bronner's. Like on their bottles? No, they're uh, spending like a couple hundred thousand dollars to uh you know, try to try to get mushrooms decriminalized in Connecticut. Well, I'm sure they're using them when they make those labels. Those labels have the, and this book, Stranger at the Pentagon, has the tone of a person who is hearing the voice of God directly in their head and transcribing it in real time uh, as best they can through all the other voices in their head. Dr. Stranges says that the Venusians first started observing the Earth hundreds of years ago. Um, it's kind of obliquely implied. From Venus? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, they would send ships. He kind of obliquely implies that early ancient writings hint at like visitors from the sky and that this was the Venusians watching us. Um, these are the parts of the book that get quoted on ancient aliens quite a bit. He casually mentions that in 1945, 100 spaceships surrounded the Earth to protect its fragile atmosphere. Um, he doesn't specifically say from what, but I think we're meant to assume he means the atomic bombs over uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm. 
But it wasn't until March 16th, 1957, that valiant Thor, <laughs> quote, one of the finest leaders of the planet Venus, landed in Alexandria, Virginia, and was calmly taken in by two cops. So apparently Valiant had just landed his flying saucer, which looks like a movie flying saucer. Mm-hmm. Silver. Landed you know, where? In the middle of a street in Alexandria, Virginia. Okay. Because he knew it was close to where the president was, but he didn't know exactly where the president lived, I guess. That's a... Okay. So this is a take me to your leader situation. And the uh, officers, uh, they said, approached him guns drawn. But he with, I think this is a a direct quote, with a simple thought transference, convinced them he meant no harm. And then uh, these officers, it sounds like, take him in the back of their squad car to the Pentagon. He just leaves his flying saucer in the middle of the street? Yes, he did. Okay. He was quickly taken to Washington and and directly to the Pentagon. I guess these local cops had some real pull. Sure. Um, Because there doesn't seem to have been too much hesitation before he was introduced to the Secretary of Defense in person. Um, This would, at the time, I looked it up, have been Charles Wilson. But Charles Wilson left that post in October of 1957 uh, for Neil McElroy. So... I mean, maybe the stress of meeting this extraterrestrial and dealing with this whole situation is why Charles Wilson was out and McElroy was in. Hmm. Huh? So there's a little historical connection. Sure. The traveler introduced himself as Valiant Thor and presented Secretary Wilson with a letter of introduction from the Venusian High Council, which Stranger says was written in no earthly language, but anyone who looked at it could just understand what it was supposed to convey. Kind of like psychic paper and Doctor Who. It's very Doctor Who, yes. Hmm. In fact, um, I don't know. I have no doubt that some elements of this story have been used in science fiction uh, throughout, including in the 60s with Doctor Who, you you would imagine. Oh, yeah. Stuff like psychic paper, um, translation circuits. Once they were convinced uh, of his intentions and that he was probably who he said he was, an underground train took Val as he's called for most of the book, uh, took Val from the Pentagon to the White House. Now, there is a subway system under the U.S. Capitol. Uh, I don't know if there is a private underground train that goes from the White House to the Pentagon. A train. I don't know. Um, But that is how Val says that he got directly from the Pentagon to the White House without ever um, interacting with anyone except these Secret Service agents and um, Air Force captains and things like that. So as he entered the room to meet with the president, Stranges describes Secret Service agents raising their weapons as Valiant Thor extends his hand to shake the president's. Um, but Eisenhower gives them a sharp nod and the agents lower their guns and relax. So he doesn't know that the president lives at 1600 Pennsylvania, but he does know that people shake hands. Yes, he knows. <laughs> That's yes, interesting. He, because definitely Val initiates the handshake it's not like eisenhower does right no that's part of yeah it's part of the story uh mm, okay okay so so let me take your temperature on this so far uh i'm curious i'm curious to see where it goes um i'm assuming that this transcript comes from it's funny when you read a book that's about allegedly a non-fiction event but it's written sort of like fiction, you know, where people have conversations with each other. Uh, I had this experience when I was reading the Lindley Street book about the Bridgeport Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a fun exercise to go like, okay, this is written as a scene, but obviously the author wasn't there. Um, Which person did he talk to? 
right. to get the details of this conversation. And uh, so we have to assume the, the following details come from Val, who Strangers would later have much contact with. I don't think he ever met Eisenhower uh, directly, but he says that Eisenhower's conversation with Valiant Thor went as follows. Eisenhower nodded to the agents and they lowered their guns. He looked back at Valiant Thor as he shook his hand and said, Of course you know we have suspended all rules of protocol. I have a good feeling toward you. Please, sir, what is your name? Valiant. Oh, so it's first name, last name. Uh, yes. It's not like a title, like yes. Prince Thor, Valiant Thor. Thor is his family name. Okay. Okay. Um, so they do that on Venus, too. That's interesting. All of the other members of Valiant's crew aboard his spaceship, there were four other uh, main crew members, and they all also have the last name Thor. Oh, so he's hiring family. He can't get away from that ever, can you? Uh, well, it's interesting when you're a created being. It, we'll get to the nature of Valiant Thor, but it's not a normal family unit situation. Hmm. So Eisenhower continues, and where do you come from? I come from the planet your Bible calls the morning and the evening star. Venus? Yes, sir. Can you prove this? What do you constitute as proof? I don't know. Will you come with me to my ship? My friend, I cannot come, as, come and go as I please. There are others to be considered. There are committees to be consulted and security measures to be adhered to. Please, spend some time with us here. Let's get better acquainted. Learn more about one another. And perhaps soon, real soon, Make we out. shall see. <laughs> Um, he met the vice president as well, and Nixon seems to have been a little bit more unguarded with uh, Valiant Thor. Nixon, oh. Vice President Nixon. Famously open Richard Nixon. Yes, Vice President Nixon is quoted as saying, You certainly have caused a stir for an out-of-towner. <laughs> the vice president smiled as he continued, Of course, we're not totally convinced of anything just yet, but suffice it to say we are checking and double-checking everything you say and do. When Sergeant Young from Alexandria radioed in and stated that you had just landed in a flying saucer, we thought Sergeant Young had flipped. Say, were you in on that UFO flap over Washington? You certainly had us all in a dither. Well, he's taking it pretty well. Yeah, he's uh, really, Nixon's ready to jump on the golf course with this guy. Seriously. Um, and then they proceeded to put him in a very nice apartment in the basement of the Pentagon for the next three years. Okay, so he just wanted to stay? Like, what did he say was his business there? So Valiant had a lot of thoughts for President Eisenhower about how his people could help the world progress, get past um, especially the kind of um, war-making instincts that had led them into the two world wars of the previous decades, as well as, um, you know, there was increasing hunger, unrest, disease... Oh, it's a good thing that we got those all fixed up. And so, well, this is because Eisenhower wouldn't listen to Valiant Thor. And uh, so he said, listen, you can hang out for three years here. No uh, more, no less. Well, you try to convince us of your plans. We'll try to implement some of your stuff. You can help our doctors and scientists with some technology. And uh, at the end of the three years, then you can go home. Uh, meanwhile, we'd also love to run some tests on you. And it seems, the way it's written, it seems like the... U.S. government thought they were taking him as, like, kind of a voluntary prisoner. Hmm. Um, but Frank Strange's notes that Val would often teleport out of his quarters. 
Oh. Uh, that he had constant psychic communication with his mothership and the crew there, and also that he would use, quote, trans imagery to cause guards to, to again, quote, see his face on a non- non-existent ID badge. So again, that Doctor Who psychic paper thing. Now, where did the mothership go? Did they leave and go back to Venus after dropping him off? No, they uh, hung around. Just in the street in Alexandria? Oh, no, that was just his transport craft that eventually, I think, self-flew back to the mothership. And it was just sort of levitating in the air around DC. Yeah, the mothership, um, you know, it's... No one's ever uh, kept tabs on Valiant Thor's activities since Doctor Strange's. So uh, since Doctor Strange's passed in 2008, it's really hard to get a, a beat on Valiant Thor's activity. Mm. Um, but the last that we heard, the mothership was still hovering over uh, somewhere outside Reno, Nevada. <laughs> okay. Um, so there you go. He meets Eisenhower, he meets Nixon, and he is shown to his uh, apartment underneath the Pentagon. What did he look like? Well, funny you ask that. Stranges supplies some photos of Val and his crew members, Don, Jill, and Tania Thor. Don Thor? Yeah, Don Thor, Jill Thor, and Tania Thor. Um, okay. Frank Stranges says that all four of them, all four of the crew members, changed into human clothes to blend in and attend a New Jersey meeting of UFO enthusiasts who they spoke to in April 1957. And he took some pictures. So here you can see, I'll show you one of these here, Carrie. Uh, This is Valiant Thor in the foreground with that uh, piece of paper. This guy? And then behind him is, I believe, Don Thor. (laughs) And then uh, one of his brothers. And then Jill Thor in the back there. There's Groucho Thor. Harpo Thor, of course, is my favorite. (laughs) Well, they look like normal people. Yeah, Val's kind of a handsome guy. Well, they both are. These these are all three attractive people in this picture. Yeah, the guy in the middle looks like he could be in West Side Story. Totally. He's (laughs) he's the stand-in for Tony. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, he's got almost a young Jimmy Stewart uh, look to him, to me, Val Thor, in Mm. this picture. Mm Mm-hmm. So there you go. That was April 1957, shortly after he'd been shown to his apartments in the Pentagon. Um, so you can see Val had no problem getting out and about, and even around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the crew would also keep him up to date on growing world tensions, which is something that, of course, the Venusians had come already been pretty concerned about when they arrived here. Um, meanwhile... Pentagon scientists took Val's uniform, which was a one-piece zipperless silver garment, and uh, ran various tests on it. They basically tried to ruin it. They said they broke a diamond tip drill bit, trying to drill through the thing. They fired a high-velocity rifle and a laser beam at it. Nothing. No tarnish. No holes. Um, The report to the president reportedly read, physical appearance, soft and gold, lustrous, fabric, unknown. Weight, six ounces, including boots. Cut, close-fitting, like a tunic. No cuffs, pockets, buttons, zippers, clips, or hooks. They later made Nokia brick cell phones out of that. Doctor Strange has spent so much time on the look of the suit that I'm almost wondering if he was, like, sort of floating a fashion idea. Like, do you think I could get this going? (laughs) Speaking of Doctor Strange's, he hasn't come into this story yet. No, aside from telling it. In any personal way. Um, But the way that he... So one might ask, how did he know all of this top secret stuff? 
It was Christmas 1959. Dr. Stranges says he was fresh off a visit with Fidel Castro in Cuba, and he was busily giving a, a series of scientific lectures and also church speaking engagements, and his tour had taken him to Washington, D.C. What was he doing with Fidel? It just says, a trip to Cuba during which I had occasion to meet with Fidel Castro. Okay, casual. Yeah, it's a, he's, he's a big name dropper, usually of people he almost certainly didn't meet. Um... <laughs> Dr. Stranges was approached by a Nancy Warren, not her real name, it's in quotes every time it's used, uh, at one such lecture. By the way, this is a great tip. If you want to write a book that's all fake, but you want to give it the ring of truth, make sure you mention that you had to change some names. <laughs> like, just put people's names in quotes. So Nancy Warren uh, meets Dr. Stranges at one of these lectures while he's signing copies of his book, Saucerama. I love it. Um, he'd been showing, actually, during his UFO lectures, Dr. Strange's had for a few months, apparently been showing pictures of these supposed aliens that had been photographed in New Jersey a couple of years before. So up walks Nancy Warren while he's at his signing table, slaps one of those pictures down and says, you've been showing pictures of these people, would you like to meet them? Meet me on the curb in front of your hotel, 8 a.m. tomorrow. Um, without really questioning it, Dr. Stranges did, and Nancy Warren took him to the Pentagon, to a secret back entrance, where they went past a couple of security guards who didn't seem to see them, and then Nancy left him in an office with three men, who also just didn't acknowledge his presence at any point. Hmm. He says he found out later that Valiant Thor himself was clouding these men's perceptions so they couldn't see him. Of course. And now we get to Frank's description of Valiant Thor. Now, first, Frank reminds us that he's both a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and also a special investigator. Of what? He just says that his experience as a special investigator helped prepare him for the reality of what he was seeing and helped him tra train him to discern reality from, you know, hallucination, I guess. He says... In walked a man, about six feet tall, perhaps 185 pounds, brown wavy hair, brown eyes. His complexion appeared normal and slightly tanned. <laughs> as I approached him and he looked at me, it was as though he looked straight through me. That part's written in all capitals. Oh, okay. As I approached him and he looked at me, it was as though he looked straight through me. With a warm smile and extending his hand, he greeted me by name. Hello, Frank. How are you? His genuineness astonished me, but quickly I understood. Understood what? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to go on. <laughs> I will, but it, but, uh, it doesn't help me. It doesn't this, clarify. This is the next, the next passage. As I gripped his hand, I was somewhat surprised to feel the soft texture of his skin, like that of a baby, but with the strength of a man that silently testified to his power and intensity. Okay, wavy hair, brown eyes, baby man... His voice was very... This is me they're describing so far. <laughs> His voice was very strong and mellow. It was filled with purpose and character. I again looked around the room to see if the other men would do or say anything. They were still working, as if I wasn't there. He's describing Valiant Thor as if he's a stogie. He's, I, I just... I found it all very, like, almost erotic. He, he, he's... 
Well, he's, Thor has a way about him, I guess. He's building Valiant up, especially when he talks about, like, the you could feel the the manly strength underneath his soft well, skin. Well, his name isn't Dorky Thor or Wimpy Thor. Uh, and then Valiant proceeded to bring Frank right over to the closet and show him his cool gold suit for some reason. It's like the first silver thing he does. gold. It was gold. I'm sorry. I said silver before, right, but okay. then when I was reading the description, it is... Uh, gold material. All right, so they touch hands. He shows him his nice suit. Yep, that's the first thing. And then Val explained to Frank that quote, and this is an, a Shyamalan-esque twist, that Valiant's, quote, purpose in coming was to help mankind return to the Lord. Uh, oh. Yep, Stranges says, we discussed the merits of Jesus Christ, how he gave his life freely so that men could enjoy the benefits of eternal life. I questioned him about a Bible of Venus, and he assured me that a personal unbroken fellowship with the author did not necessitate the printing of the book. There are many authors of the Bible. No, he means he literally knows God, so he doesn't need to read the book. Okay. In answer to my question of what he thought of Jesus Christ, he said, I know that Jesus is the Alpha and Omega of yours and everyone else's faith. He today has assumed his rightful position as the ruler of the universe and is preparing a place and time for all who are called by his name to ascend far above the clouds to where his power and authority shall never again be disputed. I believe that Jesus Christ is the wonder of wonders and changes not. No, not forever and ever. As he spoke these words, my own heart burned within me and tears filled my eyes. And then Valiant also gives a nice plug to Frank's previous book, Saucerama. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, no, Frank says that Val said that that book couldn't have been written without heavenly guidance. I'm going to say that about all of my screenplays from now on. That an alien came down and told you that it was heavenly? Yeah. So what Val basically explained to Frank Stranges was like, listen, I'm doing what I can with these government people, but my time here is going to be over within the next year. I don't think I'm going to convince this Eisenhower guy to get anything done. So I need you to go out, Frank Stranges, and preach my gospel. Interesting choice. All right. And Val's instincts were good because he couldn't get much done on Earth in those three years that he was staying at the Pentagon. He had big plans for demilitarizing the whole world and ending hunger and disease, as I'd mentioned. Um, but Eisenhower, as well as his military advisors and basically his whole cabinet, uh, wouldn't go for any of it because all of the ideas were like, just too big a jump. They would destabilize the world economy and politics. And Eisenhower just loved disease. He loved disease. <laughs> um, you know, in, in these passages, Stranges himself, I can't say what Valiant Thor must have thought. Stranges seems pretty disappointed with the state of mankind. Um, you know, not being able to get on board with, uh, with Valiant Thor. Stranges says... There are still to this day many adversaries to human freedom. These parasites have embedded themselves in all phases of human society and will never be exposed except by extraterrestrial intervention. There are confused individuals who have perfected a saucer-type aircraft. 
Some of these are the result of an attempt by some to institute a master race. Remnants of this group still exist. These craft which they designed are still seen from time to time in areas of South America, where some of those involved in the original plan still reside. These should not be confused with the spacecraft originating from other worlds, or those coming from the interior of this planet. Nor should the occupants of craft originating from other worlds be confused with those evil messengers who do not originate from the Earth, but were cast into it after the first war ever recorded. They are in league with earthly low-grades who have condemned themselves because of their own choices. Just say Nazis. You don't have to worry about offending them. I didn't get anything out of that word soup. Oh, I think he was saying that he was definitely talking about Nazis initially. The the bad people that make the saucers and they're still kind of around in South America. Oh, the master race. Oh, seen from time to time in areas of South America. Oh, which some of those involved in the original plan. So he's saying the he Nazis. He was casually talking about Nazis. I don't know why he just doesn't say Nazis. It's okay. They're not going to sue you for Nazi libel. I don't know if it's cagey or if it's just Frank's interesting relationship with the English language. Interesting. Um, anyway, on March 16th of 1960, Val, uh, left the Pentagon via dematerialization, <laughs> went back to his transport ship, which was once again waiting for him in Alexandria, and returned to the mothership. But apparently he didn't go far. Why couldn't he just teleport to the mothership? Um, why couldn't he... Oh, that's a great question, but I, I can't give you the answer to it. But, uh, well, maybe you, it's like a rental car. you got to return it. You know what I mean? He can't just leave that saucer sitting in Alexandria if it's been there for the past three years, maybe. I guess. But I don't know. You're right. Why need the, Why do you need the... Uh, de- Certainly, it's not been sitting in the middle of the street for three years. And if you can teleport, yeah, why do you need the ship? Like, you can only do a certain distance? How do you even know these rules? I don't know. Well, trust me, we'll see Val use both his spaceships and his teleporter plenty more as Frank Strange's uh, continues his association with the man from Venus because Valiant Thor didn't go far away at all. He still had big plans for Earth and he needed to stay close by to watch them. And Frank Strange's would just be one of Valiant Thor's human allies living amongst us. Ooh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Tara. Hi, Nick. I've got a question for you, a hypothetical question. Here for it. If you and I were to make a podcast... Why would we make a podcast? Why does anyone make a podcast? Massive egos. Anyway. If you and I were to make a podcast... Right, so if we were to make a podcast where we ask each other hypothetical questions... (laughs) Wait, so not only is this a podcast about listening to an old married couple argue, it's explicitly about nonsense? That's right. Okay, I'm with you so far. So what would we call this hypothetical podcast? Well, I think we'd call it Unloaded Questions, a podcast about lighthearted musing and loving debate. And excellent action. Work with your co-hosts Nick and Tara. 
Now, babe, why would anyone listen to a podcast like this? Well, maybe after a year locked inside their own houses, people want a break from heavy news or serial killers and just want to wonder how many Sasquatch eye it would take to successfully capture Nessie. I think it's Sasquatches. It's a Latin root. I'm pretty sure it's Sasquatch eye. Unloaded questions with your hosts, Nick and Tara, dropping Wednesday at a podcatcher near you. Hey, Tara, what's a group of Sasquatch eye called? A foot clan. Oh, Nick, people are going to have to hear this ad more than once. Foot clan. Ugh. Welcome back. When last we left you, Valiant Thor had just left the Pentagon March 16th, 1960, after living there in a very comfortable apartment for three years in the basement uh, while trying to convince President Eisenhower and the rest of the U.S. government to take on a number of um, progressive solutions. Frank Stranges certainly thought that his encounter with the extraterrestrial had ended until about a year after his first meeting with Val, the alien returned. So I guess this must have been like late 1960. Mm-hmm. And Frank is driving his car in Beverly Hills, California, when Val Thor just pops out of thin air in the back seat. Yeah, and Val calmly said, hello, Frank. How are you? Um, Frank apparently did almost crash the car, but then <laughs> pulled over. Uh, Val got out and came up into the passenger seat, which, you know, why don't you just teleport into that seat? Or just not do that because you have probably some sort of sense of that your teleporting freaks people out if they're not expecting it. Well, he certainly didn't learn that lesson because Frank said he would have meetings like this for years with Valiant Thor. He would appear on a street corner or crossing the street in front of the car or inside the car and just show up and say, hey, how you doing, Frank? Entrances with pizzazz. Exactly. And, uh... Stranger said it's not even like Thor was giving him like specific instructions or anything in these meetings. They were just kind of, he said, getting acquainted kind of meetings. Hmm. Um, but Frank Stranger said he had been working with Val a little bit ever since. He uh, eventually came to know the network of both Venusian agents and human helpers that Valiant Thor had working all over the world to try to push in the direction of this peaceful new world order. Thor had a network of holographic communication centers with other Venusians and human helpers uh, staffing them worldwide. One in Reno, one in San Diego, one in Geneva, one in Los Angeles. Um, Frank described the Los Angeles one, which he saw at, at one point. It's just like a bunch of chairs in a circle around like a big orb that would put up like a, hologra a hologram of whoever you were talking to. Frank sounds, said, sounds like an Avengers... Uh... Yes. Uh, the, the Endgame or Infinity War, which one? I one think of the it's Captain, Endgame. One of the Captain Americas has it too. Yeah, where all the yeah all the like uh, world leaders are standing in in holograms. Thunderbolt Ross is there, um, and then it turns out one of them is actually Black Widow. Anyway, it wasn't all fun in games, and it could be dangerous. As Frank started to preach his new message of solar system spiritual unity. Um, he relates a time in late 1967 when someone tried to poison him at a UFO conference in Mainz, Germany. Mainz! <laughs> um, his interpreter for the weekend apparently rushed him back to the hotel room, opened up his medical bag, and then quickly mixed some chemicals together, shook it up, and gave it to Frank. Frank said, what is it? And the guy couldn't answer because he didn't know. He just, the knowledge of how to make an antidote just came into his head somehow. 
That's convenient. As Frank was recovering, because of course he bolted the serum down and uh, his throat cleared right up and he was able to breathe again. And then immediately the phone rang and it was Valiant Thor calling from Switzerland. And he just knowingly said, Frank, you've got to be more careful with the people that you meet. Oh, Val, you silly goose. Um, that was a 1967 story, late 1967. So it actually happened after the release of Stranger at the Pentagon, the initial printing. And that means that everything remaining in this book, which is about a third of the length, probably, uh, was added in the later editions. The later revisions added these further stories. Hmm. And one goes like, well, why do you dip back in? Why does a George Lucas go back and make Greedo go, my clunky or whatever? My clunky. My clunky. That's, ne never mind. It's when Han shoots Greedo now for some reason. The latest edition on Disney Plus that they added was Greedo going, my clunky. Oh. It adds some real clarity to the scene. <laughs> we talked about it with Georgia Damsky. At a certain point, the story of that you met a UFO guy there was a point in the mid to late 60s where that stopped being that interesting because there were a lot of people running around at a certain point who claimed they had met UFO guys, especially ones from Venus or Mars. That was really all over the place. And, you know, people were probably starting to point out at this point when Frank was telling his valiant Thor tale, um, maybe, people, maybe people were starting to bring up to him that like his story was basically the plot of the 1951 film The Day the Earth Stood Still. <laughs> Um, or, you know, basically what George Adamski had said had happened to him. Um, and so like George Adamski, ironically, Frank Strange has decided that it was time for him to take a little trip on a flying saucer. Yay. And in 1968, that's exactly what happened. This was specifically on June 5th, 1968. Can you think of anything significant about that date, Caroline? Yes. Maybe. Is it RFK? For Frank Strange's, it seemed like a normal morning when Valiant Thor called him and asked him to meet at the San Diego airport. Frank went and met his alien friend there, but they didn't get on a plane. They drove from the airport across the border and into Sonora, Mexico, where they hit the coastline and found a flying saucer waiting for them on the beach. A huge, this is a big flying saucer, not like the... um small transport craft Valiant had landed in in Alexandria. This is a, a massive building-sized, like football field-sized craft, one of these. They took a boat across the water to get to the craft, which seemed to be suspended there, you know, touching the water but not moving up or down with the tides at all. Um, and a smiling man and a woman appeared in a uh, uh, kind of hole that suddenly opened in the side of the ship, and they pulled him inside. I like to think that this is how our... Arrival for our honeymoon is going to go. I was ushered by these wonderful people to a room where I was requested to completely disrobe. I did so without question. <laughs> of course. I then walked through a compartment that resembled a shower, only without the water. I felt a purifying sensation all over my body. Oh. I, no I no longer required my eyeglasses to see. This is another phenomenon abo on board the ship that was quite unscientific, in quotes. I felt extremely good in body, soul, and spirit. Just vibes, baby. Just vibes. Great vibes on this ship. And they gave Frank not a cool gold indestructible onesie <laughs> like Val has, but uh, he was issued a loose-fitting pair of white overalls. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then a beautiful woman named Teal showed him to Val's room. 
Now, Val's room was apparently spacious and comfortable. Had a vibrating heart-shaped bed. It was done up in like a light blue decor with a master view screen at eye level. And as they walked in, uh, Val pushed a button and the one whole wall turned clear to show them a nice view of the outside. This is getting romantic. It is. And Val then proceeded to, he said, Frank said he made him comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. And then shared with him the secrets of the universe. In his pants. No, I well, maybe. Again, we don't know how much Frank is glossing over here. Um, <laughs> but he shares with him a number of things. Uh, Frank says this information on such subjects as the hollow earth theory, the black hole mystery, the Bermuda Triangle, etc. would be revealed in my later writings and audio recordings. Nice. So a nice, an extra plug Frank's getting in there for his future books. Mm-hmm. Because you know this is the part that's added in the 70s. Oh, yes. Um... And then, for some reason, in the middle of this conversation, Val mentions that he met Robert Kennedy once, and um, he comments to Frank Stranges that he's probably not going to take my advice. And then he looks sad. And then later in the evening, everyone gathered in a big room in the middle of the spaceship to watch the Kennedy assassination. Like they knew it was happening? There were approximately 55 crew members present for the viewing. Suddenly a picture of the hotel what is it the ambassador mm-hmm. came a picture of the ballroom I think so yeah picture of the ballroom where kennedy was speaking came up in live in li- real time live black and white like tv broadcast and as all these uh they had like a like a video guy down there apparently <laughs> and as they're all watch- looking on does he have a press pass well let me let strangers tell it I was made to understand that the same scene was being transmitted throughout the ship for all to see and hear the tragic event that was to occur. Vi stated that he had been queried by Mr. Kennedy as to his chances for the presidency, to which Vi replied, Mr. Kennedy, four years from now you would stand an excellent chance of winning, but I beg you to remain far away from the political race this year. Do you this, mean Val? Val said that? Yeah. This he repeated to him several times. Those Kennedys... They're not patient boys. Val then said, God help him. Suddenly, several shots rang out, and it appeared that all hell had cut loose. Val did not move from his seat. Teal jumped up and said, If only he had listened! Well. Stranges continues, and I don't... Help me unpack what he's trying to imply here. Stranges continues. I'll be your interpreter. (laughs) The investigation that ensued was similar to that of the late President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, and was covered up in like manner. Someday, the entire truth may come out. Val and the group watched with grave concern. Following the removal of Mr. Kennedy from the hotel, the set was turned off in Val's quarters. And then Val looks at Frank very seriously and uh, basically, you know, gives him a long speech, but one that basically boils down to, you see, there's consequences for our actions, and we'll all reap the rewards of the choices we make, and we mustn't be involved in works of darkness. Hmm. Okay, well, part of that, I think, is basically talking about the conspiracy theories that surround RFK's assassination, because there are some, uh, including that... Sirhan Sirhan was some sort of MK Ultra agent mm. or Manchurian candidate, and to which Sirhan Sirhan has stated before that he was being mind controlled or, or something like that. Re- regarding conspiracy thought, uh, 
Stranges also writes, I cannot give a detailed account of what actually took place that fateful day at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, but suffice it to say that the authorities who were in charge of the investigation know more than what was admitted to the press. Reports have surfaced in recent years regarding the removal of certain pieces of door and frame in the immediate area. Crucial pieces of evidence have come up missing. Yeah, same thing happened with JFK too, so I think that's all he's saying is that there was a conspiracy there as well. But not on the part of, is you, do you think the Venusians just knew about the conspiracy? Yes. I don't think they were killing him. Like they they weren't sad that they, oh, we have to kill him because he's not going to participate in the New World Order. I don't think so. I think they were sad that uh, they knew something bad would happen to him if he didn't wait. Finally, Frank relates an encounter with the Men in Black in 1974. He says he was supposed to meet up with Val and some of his other Venus dudes. (laughs) At a Chili's. No, well, outside of Vegas in like an airstrip. And as he showed up there, there was a black Cadillac sitting there. And three silent men in black suits with sunglasses, who he figured must be Val's buddies. So he walked up and uh, these guys didn't say anything. They just took his briefcase and then one of them punches him in the gut. Oh. And they just started roughing him up. They throw him down on the ground and started kicking him and stuff. And, um... The tone of this book is hard to nail down. Sometimes it reads like fiction. Sometimes it reads like a side of a Dr. Bronner's bottle. <laughs> Sometimes it reads like a um, redacted like government document. Sometimes he thinks he's writing a spy thriller. This part reads like a Charlie Houston book. Like it's a chaotic action scene where he's f- sort of flailing and panicked Frank, but really holding his own pretty well against these three guys. Um, I've showed you a picture of uh, Frank, right? Yeah, he didn't seem to be the type to um, be super athletic. He's not. Um, And he was holding his own pretty good, but was outnumbered and was going to get his butt kicked by these three government agents, he says. When guys in silvery outfits and a white Cadillac showed up as the cavalry. Um, They pushed the guys off him and then one of them reached through the black car's trunk to get his briefcase. And then as they walked back to the white Cadillac, Dom Thor got out of the car, (laughs) gestured at the black Cadillac, and the three thugs and the Cadillac all vanished. Oh. And Frank said, where did they go? And Don went, let's just say they've been displaced. Yeah! (laughs) Damn. I don't want to be displaced. No, do you think he's implying they were sent just somewhere else, literally displaced, or are they gone? Have they been thrown into the sun? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, either one of those. Anyway, Val and his buddies took Frank to the spaceship to get him healed up. Um, So it was the second time he got to go on one of the spaceships, although not the last. Um, He says the alien's medicine is all natural with, quote, no drugs. But he doesn't elaborate on what the medicine actually consists of because uh, he passed out while they were scanning him with blue lights. So we don't know anything (laughs) about the rest of the treatment, except that it was miraculous. And when he woke up, all his cuts, scrapes and bruises were gone. Hmm. Okay. Frank says the uh, men in black also tried to run him and his wife off the road in 1985 while he was in Europe on a speaking tour. Um, And after this one, Valiant didn't come and save him, but he telepathically revealed to Frank the Ring of Fire ceremony through which 
the literal creator, actual God who lives on Venus, um, gave Val his power and authority and his mission on Earth. And so Val passed that on to Frank as kind of like, listen, you have sacrificed for the cause. The men in black keep trying to kill you. Here's a ritual of protection that you can teach to your followers. And then the following chapter is is just the ritual. We can do... Oh boy, that's Patreon content right we, there. We will do the Ring of Fire ritual for Patreon. Get on us, get at us over there. Um, we will hopefully not call any kind of an entity from any other worlds. Yeah, probably shouldn't do it in our home, but you know, maybe in an Airbnb or something. Uh, and finally, Frank closes with a chapter uh, really getting into the nature of Valiant Thor and Venus and God, and um, also with a lot of technical aspects of this spacecraft. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of it is incomprehensible, gobbledygook, but I'm happy to answer any questions you have as best I can. Uh, suffice it to say, Valiant Thor is, he was not born, and the other Thors there in the spaceship, uh, aren't his, like, literal flesh and blood siblings. Uh, they're all created beings who were created by God, directly. Um, God lives on Venus, and, uh, Valiant Thor was created... Uh, and I assume his spaceship was created with the explicit purpose of coming to Earth and showing us the way, since uh, we didn't fully get the message when God's previous alien messenger, a little guy named Jesus, yeah. uh, came uh, those couple thousand years ago. Why does God live on Venus? Why not? Um, it seems like a miserable place to be. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a small place uh, compared to Earth and Jupiter and bigger planets. and People started... Pointing out shortly after uh, Frank Strange's published Stranger at the Pentagon that uh, Venus isn't suitable for supporting probably any life. It's very hot, very high gravity, very small world, uh, too close to the sun. Mm-hmm. Pretty much sucks. No, no breathable atmosphere. Yeah. Um, but you don't need any of those things when you're God and his heavenly host of angels. I guess. And to answer your question in more, like, why do I think they used Venus? Because, like, it's one of the most visible stars. It's not a star, but it's one of the most visible objects in the night sky. Yeah. And I mean, it is referenced by the Bible and other texts like that because it's a thing that people in ancient times would look up at and go like, oh, look at the blue one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so it's like, it's just a recognizable object in the sky. So it's like, well, where does God come from? Uh, that one. All right. It's a very small universe way of looking at the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, he also says, by the way, that Frank Strange says the universe is way bigger than people think it is, and there's way more life out there than people think. Um, and we don't give God enough credit for his amazing creation kind of thing. Um, Again, if that's the case, why is he living on Venus? Why doesn't he, like, move around? Why isn't he omnipotent? Why well, does he have to have, like, a home? He, as in capital H, he. I don't right. I'm not sure he lives on Venus. I do know that Valiant and his people are from Venus and that they are created directly by God by hand. And that God basically pulled Valiant into a meeting and went, listen, man, you got to go to Earth. Interesting. Okay. He also has no fingerprints and he can see and walk through walls. So has anyone seen or heard from Valiant Thor since Frank Strangest? Has he ever popped up again? Has anyone ever written about meeting him in, in more recent times? 
Uh, no, since the death of Frank Stranges. Since Frank Stranges, he would check, like, you know, he did editions of this book uh, every 30 years or so. And he also um, had other writings. And more importantly, it was more, same with George Adamski, right? These guys would do speaking engagements more than anything else. Because that's, that's how they were making their money. Mm-hmm. So, because I don't know how many copies Stranger at the Pentagon sold, but I don't think it was a, a bestseller. So I think he was spending all his time doing speaking arrangements, and uh, that's where how all this uh, kind of information and conspiracy thought about Valiant Thor uh, was getting out there, aside from this, this book getting updated every once in a while. Um, it's a really niche piece of UFO lore. Um, it's a thing that doesn't have a huge um, believing audience now, but I guess that's the case with all of the real classic um ufo stuff by classic i mean the stuff from the 50s and 60s mm-hmm. you get to the 70s and 80s you get to some actual some there's some more interesting stuff where like a lot of people saw a thing um but in the 50s and 60s it was it was still fun it was still the wild west and people were still ready to believe um i mean almost anything yeah so what do you think um is valiant thor uh by the way the the home the mothership is called victor one the smaller transport ships are Victor class ships, but they are Victor two, Victor three. Um, Victor one, as I said, uh, it, the favorite place they seemed to like to hover was outside of Las Vegas, Nevada, um, and that's where they'd been pretty much from the '60s until the '90s, from what it sounds like in the 1991 revision of this book here. Uh, after 1991, a little harder to track where Valiant went because Frank didn't bother to come back and update this book again. But I like to think Valiant Thor will always be watching out for us, <laughs> Carrie, and helping guide us to that utopia that I know we can get to. Sure. Well, first of all, um, the picture that you showed me, it looked like they were at some sort of convention. Uh it was a backyard meeting of UFO enthusiasts, uh, allegedly. Have other people spoken of meeting Valiant Thor? At that thing? No. But just ever? No. No. Okay, so the, the, so the story originates with Frank Stranges. Yes. Oh, and um, certainly... And Eisenhower's granddaughter or whatever yes. does she say that it. this is family lore as well, but... And also, um, who's the guy who wrote the intro? Harley Andrew Bird says that this is all legit and that he worked with Blue Book and he's seen the files. Okay. Interesting. So no one not associated with the book. Besides Laura Eisenhower. Besides Laura Eisenhower has said that this is true or Valiant Thor is a person. Yeah. Or alien or Those are legitimately the only notable proponents of this. (laughs) Okay. Well, because the whole thing's crazy. And now I know that there's some sort of um, talk of a, a Eisenhower alien pact. Uh, you're speaking of the Majestic 12, probably? Might, might be. That's a separate thing. Totally separate. Thor is not involved in that. And I don't think people started talking about Majestic 12 or Madge 12 um, <laughs> until... Didn't we talk about that on one of the alien topics? Uh, a little. Um yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll uh, we, we'll do either a Patreon mini-sode or, or we'll cover that in one of our future UFO episodes. But the Majestic 12 was a series of documents that appears to imply that I, I th- I'm getting the timeline confused, but I believe when Eisenhower was sworn in 
to office, he had to be informed of a pact that Truman had made with extraterrestrials, or, or else it was Kennedy had to be informed of a pact Eisenhower had made. In any case, it's allegedly a pact that was made after the aliens crossed and crashed in Roswell in 1947, um, wherein those gray aliens were allowed to take some of us for experimentation and breeding, um, as long as they helped us with like the internet. Uh, and but that idea didn't come about until the '80s when people uh, started circling back and really getting nerdy about Roswell, because um, sure. that wasn't a huge story in the '50s and '60s. All right. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there's nothing else corroborating this. The only interesting thing to me is that Laura Eisenhower seems to believe it, but Laura Eisenhower again, find her website. No, I know. Look up <laughs> Laura Eisenhower. She believes a lot of things. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, this, this feels a damsky to me. This feels like a, a story. Yeah. And I don't like Frank Strange's as much as a damsky, although, um, it's this book find stranger at the Pentagon, uh, in PDF on the internet and, um, just take a look at this thing because it will make your brain hurt. It may permanently reduce your, I don't know if my IQ <laughs> has been permanently reduced by reading it. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty tough read and yet, um. God, real entertaining. If if this is interesting to you, there's about 123 more pages to dig into. And there it is. Um, so thank you, Valiant Thor. And um, God, I, I think we could all just we could all just be a little bit more like Val. Be like Val. What would Val do? I don't know. Probably make you feel some things in his bedroom. Seems like that's what he did to Frank. Hey, have, have baby soft skin. Show me a cool outfit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then reveal the secrets of black holes. Yeah, his black hole. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are a struggle right now. School, work, even something as simple as going to the grocery store. It could feel overwhelming. But one thing that shouldn't be overwhelming is accessing mental and emotional care. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is the leader in online counseling with over 4,000 licensed counselors on the site and over 500,000 people who have gotten counseling to date. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I've been using BetterHelp for the better part of this year, and honestly, I don't know how I would have gotten through 2020 without it. And, of course, Sean and Poe. When I need to talk to my counselor, I can just text her and I can schedule chats, phone calls, or video calls for longer sessions. This means I have flexibility to set a session during the week, or during busy weeks, I can just shoot her a message here and there when I have time. Take control of your mental and emotional well-being. BetterHelp is a great place to start. 
For 10% off your first month subscription of BetterHelp, go to our podcast link at www.betterhelp.com slash scary and see how good it can feel to push past the struggle and find hope in a new day. That's www.betterhelp.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Get professional counseling anytime, anywhere, because you deserve to be happy. Well, of course, since we were taking a break from news in October, literally everything happened in the realms <laughs> of true crime, the paranormal, and everything we investigate on this podcast. Instead of concentrating on just one news item for this first episode of November, I'm going to provide a little recap of all the big stories since the end of September. Roundup! The body of Gabby Petito was tragically found in Bridger-Teton National Forest. Her cause of death was found to be strangulation, according to the FBI. Brian Laundrie, Petito's missing fiancé, was being sought by everyone from the FBI to Dog the Bounty Hunter. But it was only on a search that the Bureau and police undertook with Laundrie's parents that skeletal human remains were discovered in Mikihatchee Creek, environmental park along with a backpack and notebook belonging to laundry the remains were confirmed to be laundries via dental records but no cause of death has been announced as of now well good riddance mm, at least to him our friend the lake champlain monster aka champy yes was honored with a second historical marker located in port henry new york oh uh, wh- why there Oh, because it's also on the lake? Mm-hmm. A Hampton County grand jury moved this week to indict Alex Murdaugh on counts of conspiracy, false claim or payment in the amount of $10,000 or more, and a filing and filing a false police report in connection to his shooting, which, as we discussed before, turned out to be orchestrated by the victim himself. Mm-hmm. The alleged hitman, Curtis Edward Smith, was also indicted for pointing and presenting a firearm, conspiracy, assisted suicide, assault and battery of a high aggravated nature, and false claim or payment for an amount of $10,000 or more. I think we can stop calling the target of that false assassination a victim. (laughs) More certainly to come in this weird case. A creepy TikTok video appeared to show an, invis- an invisible force unclipping a dog's collar as captured by security camera footage. And it's a weird video. Um, the dog seems to really freak out about it. And it's just very, very interesting paranormal, possible paranormal footage. It seems destined to end up on paranormal caught on camera. Mm-hmm. And um, the real identity of the Zodiac killer may have been found. Yes, he's dead. What's his name? According to the cold case team Case Breakers, they've identified the long unknown Zodiac killer as Gary Francis Post, who passed away in 2018. Clues that pointed to Post included forensic evidence and photos from his dark room and deciphering letters from the Zodiac that revealed Post to be the killer. For the latter in particular, removing the letters of Post's full name revealed an alternate message in the Zodiac messages, with a former Army counterintelligence agent on the Casebreakers team telling Fox News, 
so you've got to know Gary's full name in order to decipher these anagrams. I just don't think there's any other way anybody could have figured it out. That's amazing. So we'll definitely be keeping you updated as we find out more. There's definitely been a lot of pushback to this. But uh, yeah, maybe it is the Zodiac. Who knows? Let's let the dust settle on it before we do a Zodiac (laughs) series. Oh, for sure. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure there's more, but those are really the biggies. I felt like every week was, oh, they found the Zodiac. Oh, they found this. It's like, oh, but we have to talk about Elvira. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's really what we would have covered. Uh, is there anything else you could think of, Sean? And did you enjoy your Halloween? Halloween was beautiful. Um, it could have been more, you know, there's still mm-hmm. some pandemic-y uh, weirdness happening. So our own Halloween party had to be shit-canned because... Um, well, just postponed till next year. I think it still was in a situation where everyone was up for it. We weren't going to have enough bodies to make it worth the um, really back-breaking labor my <laughs> wife does to get ready for that party. Uh, and we had the wedding coming. So, um, yeah, but we still got to wear our costumes. We still got to watch spooky movies. We mm-hmm. still got to be festive with friends. Uh, uh, I thought it was great. And... Um, my Halloweens have gotten better since I met you, Carrie, because you keep it in your heart all year long, certainly, uh, and you make sure that we're celebrating through the whole season. Yes, we dressed as Nadia and Laszlo from What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show, and I always love to keep it in my heart. It felt like it went, it just blew by super quickly, and we're going to be going away tonight (laughs) and once we get back all the leaves will probably be off the trees and it'll be winter so it'll be really a hell of a week to to go but right now it's gorgeous out up here in connecticut it's been sunny this week the foliage um thanks to climate change has still been hanging around so it's been gorgeous yep and we're flying we're leaving at around uh two in the morning tonight (laughs) to go fly to uh beautiful jamaica for hurricane season well, I think we've I think we've made it through there. But yes. So, um, yeah, Halloween was great. I think next year it'll be better. And always keep it in your hearts, people. I think it's a fun time of year. It's fun to stay a little weird all year round and also keep that veil thin because who knows, maybe you've got a, a ghost hanging out with you or, or something like that. Never know when you could use some help from the other side. Or from a valiant Thor, perhaps. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash scary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Don't forget to screenshot your five-star reviews and share with us on social media for your chance to win a special gift straight from us. That's right. Come over and join us on Patreon, and we're going to offer special thanks, as we always do, to our top-tier patrons, Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, and Christy Atchison. I love that list of people. I really, they're, they're all wonderful people. 
And just a note. It's one of my Donald Trump. All wonderful, all wonderful people. Ugh. Just a note. Um, instead of seeing you next Thursday, we'll see you next Friday. We'll be coming back from our trip. And we just want to make sure to drop the most quality episode possible. So we didn't want to rush it. So we'll be s- dropping that on early, early hours, Friday morning. Yeah, and then so- we'll go right back to our Thursday schedule. So it's just a, a one-time thing. You're not missing a week from us. Uh, it'll just be uh, about 24 hours late there. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel. Music is a verb. This has been a production of Longboy Media. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com Listener.